Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. What does it look like to make and multiply disciples in an animistic Muslim context in Africa? On this episode, we're going to be talking with Ian and Carla, a couple that have been working in northern Mozambique, and they have some amazing stories to tell, been able to see some incredible things as they've partnered with God, been willing to get started and to step into situations where they see that God is at work and partnering with him to see people coming to the Lord as they come to the Lord, making and multiplying disciples in their context. This is a great interview. And you're going to hear some fun stories about even digging a baptism hole in your front yard across from a cemetery. So listen in and we will be back with that in just a moment. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? are frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. Well, we are here, Tim and Carla, about how to multiply disciples, multiplying disciples among people of other faiths, especially today. And um, Ian and Carla, welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. Thank you for having us. That's an honor. Thanks, Cindy. Yeah, it's great to be here with you and my first time to meet them um, here on the podcast. But we have a lot in common. Uh, we work with some of the same people. And um, yeah, just really excited for this conversation that we're going to have today. But tell us a little bit, how did you get involved in disciple multiplication? How did you get interested in disciple making movements, church planning movements? Um, tell us a little bit of your story and maybe Ian, you can start and then we'd love to hear from Carla as well. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in Riverside, California when I was young, spent about 12 years there and then 12 years in Alaska. And, uh, during that time grew up with a family that, uh, were believers and, uh, fairly conservative. And so my walk with the Lord goes back since I was young. And then within the years of 12 to 16, 18 is when I, I was baptized around eight, nine, my dad baptized me, um, in, uh, Temecula, California. And, 
was always interested in the in the things of God, like the mysteries of God, the the supernatural things of God. And in my high school years, when I moved to Alaska, I really started encountering him and uh, mm. had two major encounters, like life shaking, earth shattering type encounters where the Lord met with me and called me to missions in those in those two moments. And so from a, you know, from teenage age, I knew that missions was going to be involved in some way. And then fast forward, you know, weeding through just the life things of sports for me, um, which was baseball, college, meeting Carla uh, in our early college years and really figuring out my identity in Christ and, and laying down what I needed to lay down and saying yes to what I need to say yes to and no to what I need to say no to. Um, we were uh, into our courtship together early on and she was expressing the same needs in humanity as well, of wanting to reach people, want to be missional as a couple and a family. And um, she really knew from a, a younger age that that was probably going to be medical field and probably be Africa. Mm. And for me, it was going to be Australia, Japan, somewhere other than the continent of Africa and <laughs> probably... <laughs> And probably not the medical field. So it was like the only two areas that we ever really kind of disagreed on in in our marriage. And not disagreed like in a bad way, but just figured that we'd be doing something other than those things vocationally. But it was always a, a mindset from when I was, you know, those encounters to Carla and my courtship that we'd be doing something missional. And what ended up happening was uh, the Lord made us wait. So... In that waiting process, which was about a 15-year wait, we dove into the Lord's work the best we knew how. So we planted a church together. She started a food pantry. Um, I ended up going into music ministry and worship. And uh, we would have people living in our houses that we were discipling more in the addition phase than multiplication. Uh, I think Roy Moran talks about it and spent matches. He had a lot of children, but no grandchildren. Um, that was kind of our MO and we always had people living with us in a flow of prayer and worship and, and just engaging people's broken heartedness in their life and serving the church how we could. But there was, there was always something deeper in us as far as, uh, the vocations and the ability to bind up the broken hearted that we knew we were supposed to be in a different country. We just didn't know how. And so that led us into Africa. There's a, a lot of story in between that. But when, when the Lord finally opened that door back up and allowed us to go, it was very quick. Um, our boys were already like six, eight, ten years old, and we were on ground. And when we got on ground, Carla was right away, she began running um, in the medical ministry, and it allowed her to go out mobily with another colleague and train up what we would say now i would definitely say and she would probably say is discipleship she was discipling local women um now guys too but local women on how to treat and care for those who are close to death mm. in that process the lord also had me wait and so uh, something important for you to, you the audience or you guys to understand about my family us is that I've always been the visionary, the one that can see 
um, for better sake of terminology, prophetically a year out, 10 years out, five years out and push towards that. And Carla's always had the ability to see the present and be present with people. One of the biggest words I would compliment my wife about is that she's the best at being present and mm. hearing people and seeing into their heart. And right before we left for Mozambique, which is where we're at as a family, we're in Northern Mozambique, if we didn't catch that. Um, right before we left, the Lord shifted things and said, Ian, I'm not going to let you see past June. And that's what happened. So after years and years of me being able to see ahead of time, he switched things and allowed Carla to be able to see ahead. And I had to learn to be present. And so when we got to Africa um, with our group, we were with a, an amazing mission team um, of mostly single women, uh, just legends that had been there for a long time. But it was a different dynamic than we were used to. And I had to pull back and really just see how I could serve, like putting up mosquito nets and doing tasks around the base and running, running soccer teams and stuff like that. And Carla hit the ground running. And so after about three or four months, the Lord had told me after a certain event, he would show me what I'd be doing. And, and he did. He kind of laid it out. And in that process, one of the things was jail ministry, discipleship, um, which I went and did. And one of them was to start a school on hearing the voice of God, hearing God. And in that process, Carl and I were both like, this is really cool. This is amazing. But we didn't, because of the cross-cultural differences, we really didn't want Western influence. The Lord had already been prompting us that we didn't want to just do another Bible school for the sake of doing the Bible school out in the bush. And then what ends up happening is a couple of pastors have all the influence, all the teaching. They end up with a couch and a TV in their house and the community never changes. Mm -hmm. And, and so we were a bit convicted about that. And so I wrestled with the Lord for month, uh, about a month of prayer with that, with the pastor out there and some other people. And my family and I heard really loud and clear, this is to be about teaching them to hear the voice of God. And if the pastors are in on that and they'll let, um, you'll, you'll understand this. If they'll let the females, the women in the culture, uh, the other half of the workforce is how you would put it. Um, and the kids and the, and the teenagers in the community that maybe have only known God for one day or don't know him at all. If they'll invite them into the process of this hearing God school, then my family's all in and we'll do it. And so, um, that began the process. In that process, the Lord started showing me um, and us the simplicity of what's God saying in the word of God and what are you going to do about it? Mm. And that that began a process of us understanding the DBS, DMM, CMM process before there was language for it, before I had any language and before I even knew there was that community. And so... Carl and I, about a year or two before we left for Mozambique, got really restless about going into the field, about discipling people, about teaching the word of God. And we didn't have words for it, but we kind of knew we wanted to multiply the kingdom in a greater way than we had even seen in America, which was we had seen a lot. And when we got here, I spent probably six months before, a year before, and then the year we got on ground here, I spent most of that time in only the words of Jesus and the book of Acts. So um, 
six months leading into Mozambique, I literally was in the chapter of John one. And that was all I read for every day for like six months. Hmm. And so we're in that kind of a thing. I think I've heard you some, on some of your things you've said that, and other people that I've heard in the discipleship movement, that God spoke to them that way, that he was kind of having them just seek out God, Jesus's words, obedience and the book of Acts. And that's where we were at. And in that mm. process, that first year, she was getting to do her ministry. I was waiting on the Lord, but the Lord was tying together what Carla likes to say, and you're going to make disciples out of everything. So you're, you're going to disciple in everything. Mm. And while I was reading the words, while we were in, I began to discover Jesus asked questions. He didn't make statements. It was like Jesus invited and challenged and he released quickly and he multiplied disciples by going out and starting groups and he didn't bring people to him. He went to them. And, and in that process, we started to see things multiply and, and um, we, we, it started with kind of one family and then we tested it. And then shortly after the Lord called us into the, the greater multiplication and we, we, we bumped into DBS, DMM and some of the people that you guys all know and, I finally had words for it and realized we weren't on an island of misfit toys. Right. Wow. Well, that's an amazing um, introduction to how God's led you guys. And I know it's such an honor to have both of you here on this call. I think it's the first couple that we've actually interviewed together. So I'm so glad, Carla, that you can be here with Ian as well. And um, I know my husband, Todd, is a big part of what I do as well. And, you know, it's easy to see that you guys are a team. And most mm -hmm. most couples involved in disciple making are a team. You know, it works, it works best when we're doing it together though we have different strengths and different um, emphases that we bring to that team. But um, before we, we turn to you, Carla, and I definitely want to hear from you, I just want to highlight some of the things that Ian's been saying here. Um, you talked about you, you first started with what is God saying and what are you going to do about it? And that kind of led you into, wow, that's, that's what DBSs or Discovery Bible Studies and, you know, are all about. It's what is God saying? How do we hear from him in scripture and um, from one another as well? And what he's saying through others? And then what are we going to do about it? Putting it into practice. And so I thought that was, that was really a significant statement that you said. And I also heard you talk quite a lot about waiting and um, the, the journey. And I think that's important for, for me to just put a little exclamation point on because I think sometimes with disciple making movements, we, you know, we get this idea that it's going to happen really fast, you know, <laughs> and it is rapid once the movement begins to multiply. But a lot of times in the early days, there's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of waiting for his timing. There's a lot of waiting for that release. And um, I, I heard you repeat that a couple of times. So I just wanted to emphasize that. If you're in a waiting period as you're listening to this, I hope that encourages mm -hmm. you that God has great things ahead and you're going to hear more of um, the Janari's story. But um, amazing things that he's done through them. But there was a lot of waiting in getting to that point where there was that mm -hmm. release. So, so I wanted to emphasize that. Um, Carla, tell us, how about you? How did God lead you and, and your part of this team into a vision for multiplication of disciples? 
Yeah, I grew up in uh, Southside Tucson in Arizona. So I was a minority about, uh, amongst Hispanic uh, immigrants from Mexico. So I, I didn't even know what missions was. I had no clue. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I grew up with my, my mom raised me, single mom. And then when I was very, very young, I knew I wanted to come to Africa. I had watched this commercial with children with flies on them and, you know, just exploitive. But I just, something in my spirit knew I wanted to go to Africa and, and I wanted to take care of people. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's how, like, the vision was always in me. And I'm a nurse by trade, and actually that's what I do here. My specialty is in palliative care, end-of-life care, but I do a, a, a bunch of other things. But really, I think for me, um, just looking in Scripture and looking at what Jesus did in mercy, and, and the biggest thing you can bring to someone who's dying is your presence. Uh, it's not your words. It's your presence. So I think for me, that's the key of discipleship is bringing the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and being present in people's lives, like one-on-one and day-to-day. And I do that through, through end-of-life ministry, but I, I, do, I believe it's in everything. I think um, I can only support Ian if, if I model that with my own kids and discipling my own kids well. So for me, it is truly in everything we do. And then just really in that, it's, it's the best thing for the kingdom to multiply the kingdom. The more people that have a heart for Jesus, the better the world is, the better we care for each other. Uh, to me, the quicker maybe Jesus comes back. I don't know, depending on theology. Um, but for me, it's really... Uh, I see the change when, when people come to Jesus. And the, the key for me is hearing from God for themselves, mm -hmm. especially amongst the population we work in. You know, in Mozambique, we've had these horrible cyclones and flooding. And, you know, as Westerners, we have access to Bibles and books and resource. And, and I just, God gave me this vision one day because we had women stuck up in trees during the flood, like literally giving birth up in a tree. And oh, wow. I just thought her whole life washed away, like her whole mm -hmm. life, her Bible, if she had one, her clothes, her children. And, and I just like, I just had this vision of her hearing this voice saying, let go, let go. And, and her going, okay, I need to let go. Like your life's not worth anything. And I want people to know that is not the voice of God and to differentiate. Mm -hmm. That's not the voice of God. That's not the mm -hmm. loving father. That's not who I know from the scripture. So for me, I think that was even a, gave me momentum in, in where we live of like, I really want people to hear from God themselves. I was raised Hispanic Catholic in a Catholic church. So, um, and we would sneak out after communion because my mom didn't want to deal with the cars in the parking lot. So I, I never knew, I never saw the model of hearing God for yourself. Um, mm. But at a young age, I had the Holy Spirit in me. I taught catechism. I was, I had a different awareness. And now looking back, it was the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I could hear from God for myself without knowing it. But so for me, that's my greatest passion is bringing Jesus's presence in acts of mercy, but also uh, giving space for them to hear from God for themselves. 
that he's right. the loudest voice and to know his character, to know that's him. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. And I know I had, um, I listened to your book and we'll talk about the book in a minute um, on Audible. And so I was taking notes, but one of the things I did note at the beginning of the book was that strong emphasis on this is what our top priority is. We want to help people hear from God for themselves. That's the most important thing we can teach people, train people to do is to hear God's voice. And um, of course, being a, a youth with a mission leader myself, that's uh, that's common language for us in YWAM, but not necessarily for everyone. You know, the whole idea of what it means to be able to hear God's voice and um, help others learn to hear his voice is not necessarily something our everyone is familiar with. But um, tell us about yeah. the book a little bit. It's called Making Disciples and Leading Others to Make Them. Uh, when did you write it? Mm -hmm. It's been out for yeah, a little while. To lead that in. <laughs> and to lead the, into that too, like I would add, like that's, I think that's why I was drawn to your material too and your podcast and in the past is because your focus on mindset shift, like that can't happen unless you're hearing God. Like, mm. and so I, I think I felt really kindred um, and Carla did too, even though I had been listening to her stuff when she saw the book, um, because I was like, this is different. Like there's a lot of really good stuff on discipleship, but Cynthia's tackling something that is really going to be kindred with, with, that idea of the simplicity of just, we need to hear the voice of the father again and be reconciled mm -hmm. to him and that will shift everything. And so that's partly how I wrote the book. Like, so I'll transition to that question is, yeah. um, I think the question was, tell us about how I wrote it. And I actually was really against writing books. Cindy, don't, don't judge me. <laughs> no, like, uh, people out there don't, um, no I actually love books. I love books, but <laughs> there's a, there's a really good reason for it. And um, I love books. I love education. My parents have been teachers for years and years and years, and I have an educational background. But I spent the better part of 10 years um, for a season while we were in the waiting, uh, leading a financial service company and coaching a lot of people. And in a place where I thought I was going to be writing the check instead of asking for the check in the mission field, because I was kind of doubting the promise of God a little bit. And in that process, my makeup, my bent was to read every leadership book, hundreds of them, and get better. And I began, and you know, of course, I'm a Christian, so I read biblical leadership books. And um, not to knock those because I'm not, I'm not condemning them. But in that process, that was why I started reading only the words of Jesus for a season. Because mm -hmm. for so long, I started hearing the voice of man so much, and it, it was so similar to the world that I was like, this sounds biblical, but it's not producing the fruit of the spirit. It's producing anxiety. It's producing stress. And the biggest mission, which James says is like the root of every evil thing. And I'm like, for me, that was a big red flag. And so I had to pull away for a season. And so when, you know, and because I'm a music writer, and a song lyric writer and a worship writer, I was like, that was my writing. And so I, I, I heard you say on one of your casts that you were a runner for a lot of years, maybe still are. One of the things I do out here besides CrossFit and stuff is I run. And a lot of the reason I do that is because I want to train my body to hear God while I'm suffering. <laughs> and, and um, you know, it's not carrying a cross, but 
running out here, it, it hurts the body and I love it. I breathe. I mean, it's all wonderful, but you know, when you're seven K's in or six K's in, you're suffering and it's hard at a certain pace to divide soul and spirit at that point, because you're just locked into breathing. And I, for years have made a, a pattern of trying to hear the Lord while doing that. And on one of my runs seven, eight months ago, I had been hearing from uh, a lot of things on self-published books and I didn't realize why. And so I just asked the Lord, I'm like, why am I seeing all this stuff on self-published books lately? And why have I not picked up my guitar to write in a season? You know, cause I used to write all the time. And he was just like, it was obvious. The impression on me was like, you're going to write a book. And I'm like, I had had a couple of prophetic words from people say that over our family. And I thought for a long time it was going to be her because she has books in her, lots of them. And I just didn't really want that platform. And so I, I heard the Lord and I said, okay, like, what do you want me to write on? And I started thinking, oh, this is going to be about dream interpretation, about the topic of justice, about things that really I'm passionate about. And the Lord's like, he just said, not yet. And I'm like, okay, well, then what am I supposed to write on? And, you know, seven, eight months ago, we were seeing this. At that time, I wouldn't have called it a movement. And now I'm even not saying it's it's about to tip over what we could in DMM call that. But this flood of people that are coming, we're at the height of it just starting to multiply. And the Lord's like, well, what have I been teaching you since you moved to central Mozambique? And And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it would be on discipleship. You told me. You taught me about the simplicity of discipleship. He's like, that's what I want the book on. I want you to give that away. And I'm like, okay. And then in that moment, I just saw the download, like make it a practical guide and interweave this, the present day stories of the missionary life for those people that are either practitioners want to be in the mission field or are struggling with, I just turned Christian. What do I do? And uh, it was different. It felt unique to me. And I, the Lord knows I love unique and, uh, and creative. And so I was like, yeah, that's, that's ongoing. That's present. That can be something that can be talked about and, and still worked out. And, you know, if I make mistakes repented of and, and those things. And so that's how it came to pass was on a run. Wow, that's awesome. Well, as a fellow runner um, who knows the pain <laughs> of trying to <laughs> be out there and um, uh, on the, you know, 20th kilometer and, and try to hear from God, let alone keep your body going, I, I can identify. And wow, that's really cool that you received this desire or whatever calling from the Lord to write this in that way. Um, that's amazing. Tell us. And then the next couple... key thing is I obeyed. That's the other thing. For those of you out there that are hearing this, I want to encourage you. And then I did it. Right. I obeyed. <laughs> no matter how scared I was. So, yeah. Hearing God's voice is one thing. But if we hear and don't obey, it, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to hear, does it? So I'm glad you brought that up. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, tell us a few of the key points that um, you included in the book. Obviously, uh, people need to go buy it and read it, listen to it. Uh, the audio version is out as well, but what are some of the key key things that people will will learn about as as they go through the book? One we've already mentioned the importance of teaching people to hear God's voice, but apart from that, mm -hmm. what are some of the other key things that you talk about in it? Yeah, so it's 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 made up with stories woven into like seven or eight essentials, and uh, 
the essentials, I believe, are ones that anybody could find in in the New Testament and the Old Testament and in the life of Christ. Um, so nothing there, new, like new there. But as far as w- one of the, the big keys that I would hope uh, that people would take away from it is, and I, I wove in questions where they have to ask the Father and hear from him in the book on purpose for this, is just that, and I think you would agree with this too, Cynthia, that so much of the discipleship process and what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28 starts with just starting. It starts with beginning and, um, and, not, and not waiting for the right person, um, but, but literally making a decision that father, the Father has people prepared. And if I will just pay attention, be present to what God's doing around me, and I'll step into that work, make a decision to step into it, no matter how ill-equipped or equipped I feel, with the mindset of that he wants everybody to hear him and multiply, then things will happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and that simple hope was my book, that if I could do this in Africa or not, do it. And uh, as an example, I mean... I was two years into this process when I finally got the language. Uh, I think Roy Moran was the speaker at the event I was at. And his story was so similar to mine that I came home and I, I told Carl and the family, we're going to do this. Cause we've already, we'd already been doing it with our kids, but like I had language for it. And mm-hmm. I made that decision. I'm just going to pay attention where he's working. I'm going to keep doing this and multiply. And I wasn't even a year in. And I remember telling Carla, if God ever allows us to move back to, to America, I know what I'm going to be doing. Like, I almost felt like after all those 15, 20 years in America of discipling people in the addition way that I had that I had messed up or wasted time. And I know there's a lot of friends and family that would say, no, 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 that's not true. But when you when you see what's possible in the kingdom from just that, paying attention where he's already working and do it, the multiplication is just unprecedented. And um, mm-hmm. you're not promised to see the fruit, but most of the time you're going to see the fruit, you know. Right. Yeah. No, it's uh, what I hear you saying is just get started. Just just start. Just step out in faith. Believe that God is doing things around you. Believe that he's at work in people's lives and just just engage, get started. And um, as you start to move forward, he's going to meet you there. He's already there and you're going to you're going to connect with what he's doing and things will begin to uh, be mm-hmm. unfolded. And so good. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that are afraid to get started. It's like, well, I need to learn more, read more books, take more training, find out more about how to do this. Or maybe they've started once and it didn't work and um, it's getting started again, you know, and that courage to say, OK, I learned something from that experience. It wasn't a failure. It was something I learned. And now I'm going to start again, and I'm going to believe that God's going to do maybe, something. Maybe they're, maybe they're in the circles like we've all been in, like in the faith. Maybe they're in faith circles where people are doing good things. They are doing kingdom things, but they're not seeing that fruit from the book. They're not seeing, you know, that's a question we all wrestle with. Like, shouldn't I be seeing more? Like, and they're not, and maybe they're just afraid to offend our own circles, our own Christian faith circles. And that fear is what's holding them up because they think I can't do this without offending someone or I can't, you know, I want the church to be behind me. And, you know, having that, that, that courage to just go, okay, 
if the Lord's giving me this idea here, then he'll he'll shake what needs to be shaken and remove what needs to be removed and and what needs to die will die and what what will come to life will come to life, you know, mm. even within our our kingdom circles. Because the, mm. in the end, I think there's very few people in the kingdom that that don't want to see multiplication. <laughs> it's it's yeah, just that's right. It, it, it's us dying to ourselves in some things mm. and being patient. Yeah, yeah, so good. I mean, everybody wants to see it theoretically. But there is a price mm -hmm. to pay and being willing to do, like you said, just go back to scripture, the words of Jesus, the way that Jesus worked, the way that we see in the book of Acts, and be willing to take some risks to implement some of those things and, and do things a little differently from maybe what the norm in those kingdom circles is. And it is it is risky, but um, the benefits are great. And uh, it's, yeah, once you start to see it, there's no turning back, um, like you said. But Carla, I want to direct the next question to you. And yeah. we've been talking about working with Christians and some of the challenges of stepping out as a believer. But what about you're working in a, a context with people of other of another faith? It's a, a context where there's a lot of, as we call them, cousins or neighbors, people mm -hmm. from a Muslim faith. Um, mm -hmm. Many people would say that that people who are from other background, religious backgrounds are hard to reach. Um, resistant, that it would be harder to see a movement take place among them. Um, but tell us a little bit about your approach and your experience in trying to reach out to people of other faiths there in your in your context. Well, I'd say in our context, our context, sorry, it's uh, we work with a Muslim population, but it's it's a folk Islam, some people call it. So it's okay. a population, a people group that didn't start off in in that religion that religion was brought in as well into this area so for me when you're working with it's it's quite different than say if you're working in the 1040 window and and it was more underground a more restricted we're working with a population group that's very animistic based um and so they're very aware of the spirit like they're always in this, everything is spiritual. If you cut your finger, it's because somebody cursed you. You know, everything is spiritually based. So for me, um, the approach is just, I am present with Jesus and I walk into that realm with them. So I, th I think we all have different approaches, but I grew up again, Hispanic Catholic. So I'm very aware of witchcraft. I participated in it myself growing up with Ouija board and talking to spirits and it's the same actually the, the people group here it's kind of the same concept we see in some parts of mexico so for me it's just if god's called you like he, he says in the scripture to go and you're obedient to the go he gives you the authority in that land and how but it's the daily process of hearing from him and the scripture i come to is in in psalms in psalms 51 it says, you, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. And so for me, a few years ago, I heard that word and I said, wait a minute. Like this God in the garden that we want to reconcile people to that breathed life into us. He formed us all in the womb and he spoke to us in the womb. So it was an aha moment for me and just my perspective that Actually, we all have heard the voice of our father in the womb. <laughs> mm. Now, learning to hear that voice again and recognizing it 
is what I feel I'm called to do. So What's the biggest resistance you face though? for yeah. for this population, I just feel being in, in the way I minister is asking questions. Um, I always pray in the name of Jesus and they know that mm-hmm. um, and bringing his presence. Um, so in, in that it's hearing from God for myself, spending time with God for myself and having God disciple me, first of all, <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to bring that to others. So in this context with the Muslims we work with, it's a very mixed population, but that animistic piece um, for people working with with Muslims that have this animistic piece, they're very, very aware of the spiritual realm. And therefore, when you have an animist mixed with, even if it's a Catholicism, which we have here, or Christians that practice animism, or Muslim, like actually their identity is, is even shakier for me. Um, and the fear is greater, but it's it's in a spiritual realm that's different for me. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm very aware of the spiritual realm I'm in and and really leaning in to hear from God for myself in those areas because it's not something to to play with either. Um, but really bringing his presence and and those fruits of the spirit, like for me, when we talk about uh, what's the fruit of your ministry, how many have you baptized? Um, for me, and when you look in Ephesians, it talks about we will walk in the together and, and, and in holiness. And then if you look at the fruit of the spirit, it's what we see in Galatians. That's the true fruit, I think, that draws people to Jesus. It's, it was his, his kindness that led to, repent, to repentance. So I think for me, um, that's how I function in multiplication and discipling in healthcare and modeling how to have mercy and kindness, but also to stand firm in peace um, when dealing with those things. She was telling me the other day, she's like, the, the baptisms are, are legit. Like they're amazing. Like it's, she, she's been able to tie these two things together recently and said, but what's really moved her is that she's seeing with within the mature disciples here, the ones that are baptizing, that are baptizing, she even the women, she's seeing oh my gosh that's love joy peace right there oh that's that's self-control that's and so within the within the fruit of what we would sometimes say hey we're seeing the fruit of the ministry come in waves and grow and multiply for her she's like but i'm also seeing the fruits of the spirit come out of these yao and Mm. so in the believers when, when she sees that i think another way of what you're saying is the, the spiritual resistance has come down. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I would even ask you, like, what do you feel in the medical side? What do you what do you think is the biggest resistance? Is it spiritual or practical when you're dealing with the medical side of the Muslims when they come to see you? Like, mm-hmm. what's the resistance you push against? What, what do you what do you think is harder? Is it the spiritual? Is it the spiritual resistance that you're seeing daily medically? Like, no, I think it, I mean, the the spirit is fear. Like Mm. it's fear, no matter what religion outside of walking with Jesus is fear. Um, So for me, it's, it's not any different than if I worked in a Hindu population or uh, recognizing the spiritual realm you're working with. And it's, it's fear. And it's just acknowledging someone's humanity. Like Mm. if you look at the scripture, we were made in their image. 
And if I can acknowledge that and speak to that, I feel like, again, going back to that, the, my father, our father already spoke and breathed on them in the womb. So when they hear these familiar words from me of you're loved, you're cherished, I think it triggers something in their spirit. And, mm. and God draws those people of peace to himself. So I think the more we manifest the fruit of the spirit and, and those words that Jesus gives us, um, you know, when he, the hemorrhaging woman, it's why I love the story. He was on his way to a dying girl and he stops, he stopped mm -hmm. like what in the world? This, this is like a, a, a Shehe's daughter and you stop or a government official's daughter. And then he, and then he looked at her and called her daughter. Like he spoke the words of God to her and that changed her life. So mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's speaking truth against fear you just come back in the opposite spirit in a very generous way for me so i think it's mm -hmm. acknowledging humanity because that's what god does and that's what we want is we want to reconcile people to the father and that they mm -hmm. recognize in those words that wait a minute he is a father and jesus was his son and jesus did die all those things that kind of you know, provoke the things they've been taught. Like Jesus didn't really die. He didn't really resurrect. I think in that they recognize because it's in them because he spoke it in the womb to them. Mm. So I think it's for us to manifest that and to speak that and, and to have these tools is wonderful, but to always remember we're, we're representing, re-representing the father to reconcile mm. them back basically to the way it was in the garden, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, so good. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I love what you're saying there about the fruit of the spirit um, as it compares with baptism. And I, I think some some people, some of us at different seasons even, you know, have focused a lot on tracking baptisms. And, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, tracking baptisms a lot more fruitful than tracking salvations or people that raise their hands, you know, um, because it is a turning point in people's lives. But um, really what we want to see is the fruit of the spirit manifesting that transformed life that they've become a disciple and started to obey Jesus in all of their lives. And these things they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're starting to show the fruit of the spirit in their lives so really really good and um, definitely mm. something that I'm taking note of and I hope those who are listening will as well thanks for that wisdom Carla um, I mm. want to talk about baptism for a minute though because there was a quote from your book which I want to read here um, you mm. said I believe the fruit we have seen is linked directly to the power of baptism. That's why we have a baptism hole in our yard. Talk a little bit about the baptism hole in your yard and what you mean by that. Why is baptism so powerful and such an important thing um, as you talked about in the book? Sure. Um, from the beginning, um, it's funny. I was raised, my, my parents early on, I was a Baskin Robbins of churches. So I actually, for quite a season when I was young, was attending a Lutheran church at seven and 30 in the morning and a Baptist church at nine, um, as my dad was radically saved. So it really helped learning the old Testament, but that has always been in me that when, you know, when you're saved, you're baptized. But as I got into this process of DBS, DMM, I, I it began to hit me how few people I had witnessed be baptized that I was discipling in America. And I spent a lot of years, Cynthia, discipling people. Like, 
many, many hours and being discipled by people. And I think I was truly discipling them, but that bent of them coming to me for answers as they were maturing versus going out, there was a separation there. And I think it was just culture of you go to the church and when you're ready, you get baptized. And as I was seeking this, this process Jesus had me in, it was like, I couldn't get away from, even in the life of Jesus, I couldn't get away from everybody was baptizing everybody once they received the father, like once they realized the father's plan, beginning with Jesus's life in Matthew two and three, everyone was baptized. And I even found where Jesus, you know, uh, in John chapter three, in a very short time period, he's talking about baptism with Nicodemus and literally a paragraph or two later, it says, and they were down by the Jordan, Jesus and the disciples baptizing. And I'm like, we don't even talk about that stuff. And I began, and then in the book of Acts, it's like every single person, like baptism was so important that in, in you know, Acts chapter eight with Philip, that Holy Spirit doesn't even remove Philip from the situation until the guy's baptized. Like, but once he's baptized, he takes Philip. And I, I laugh about that because I'm like, he didn't want to screw him up. He didn't want Philip to be like, now don't teach him anymore. He's like, no, let the Ethiopian run and and duplicate, which he didn't even give Philip a chance to train him. It was just like, nope, you're going here now. And 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 we don't even see Philip again for the next 20 years. Like the next time we talk about him, Paul's visiting him. And during that time, Paul wanted to kill him. Like it's just so amazing. And so I, I just went through this journey of baptism is important. And I didn't really understand why, but I ran across um, a guy named Torben Sundergaard and a ministry called The Last Reformation about the time when I was learning DBS, the actual wording for it. And it all came together and I started seeing fruit of what he was seeing at the time when I was jumping into this. And my first uh, Muslim young believer at that time, instead of me, after me baptizing, me baptizing his friends, I had him baptize them. And that changed everything. I saw people coming out empowered and understanding repentance and confession. And like, I saw them under like demons being removed. Like we saw the change. And why I say the power of baptism changed things is because in this context in the North where we are now, you don't see baptism among Muslims. It's not, it's, it's a big commitment. And for some reason, even amongst animistic Muslims, they understand that commitment. And um, probably because of the context of them going into the mosque, having to wash their hands a certain way, wash their face, wash their feet, like they understand that tradition, that ritual. And so what I ended up doing, I'd say it in the book, is I began to pray to the Lord and ask, where are we going to do this at? And I had already... We'd already had a couple of church uh, group plants, and we'd already gone out of the river a couple times. But the Lord had started to finally bring people to his saving grace in our village amongst the Yao. And at that point, we would have had to walk a lot of kilometers to baptize people here in this village. And I just started praying. And as I did that, a YWAM group had prayed for us. And... I'm and we saw some words and I was like, they stood out. 
And I started praying about it. And as I did that, the Lord showed me a vision of something that had happened in our own family, in our own times with the Lord, where my son Gideon had drawn a picture or painted something where he said he saw a bunch of people coming to the house and then participating in baptism, you know, in large numbers. And I realized at that moment that the Lord was telling me I need to dig a hole in our front yard. And um, so we did. Like, it sounded crazy, but we just, we dug a hole in our front yard across from the cemetery. And it's been a great example. And so when I say the power of baptism, we have been able to model for them, hey, look, this is the kingdom grave. And across the road here is the actual grave. And in that process, it's been a, an incredible real life life example of for the, for the Yao to get in the water and behind them, they have a real cemetery and in front of them, they have the actual um, walk through event of baptism. And mm-hmm. part of that, part of the power of that is, when Jesus went into the water and showed us baptism, the Yao people understand that if Jesus did it, we must do it. Mm. There's no questioning. And so when, when we started going through the book of Acts and they were seeing how many people were getting baptized and they saw that Baba Ian had already dug a hole in the front yard in faith, it was a no-brainer. They didn't, they didn't have to ask me. And so part of the power that's happened in it is us teaching others that they are immediately kings and priests, that they mm-hmm. immediately are have the ability and the, the call of God in their life to baptize the way Jesus told us to, mm-hmm. has empowered them in a culture where it's a new thing to do it on their own without asking. They just bring people to the hole. They bring people to the river. When they have confessed my life needs a savior mm-hmm. um so that's what i mean by it. it's been not not that baptism shows that they're saved but baptism shows that the lord is constantly saving mm-hmm. right yeah oh so good and you know there's so much more our time has gone really fast i see we're already almost up to 50 minutes so we do need to probably uh, draw this to a close here, um, though I'm sure we could talk a lot longer, and maybe one day we'll get an opportunity to do that. But uh, so, so happy to hear the things you've just shared about baptism. And baptism is one of the things I put in my book, The Multiplier's Mindset, as a mindset shift. It was a little bit of a risky chapter to write, to be honest, because not everybody understands, you know, why ordinary people who are not ordained could baptize others, why that's so significant. So I really appreciate the insights that you brought about that um, great addition to what I've already uh, taught on that and uh, we'll be drawing from that. I love that it's across the street from a, a cemetery. How visual is that? That's amazing. Uh, really, really cool. But um, we're going to need to wrap up here in just a moment, but tell us at least 
uh, one story, either one of you, whoever has uh, the best story, I guess, to share, but tell us a story of somebody that has come to faith, begun to multiply disciples in their area. Um, share a story with us about somebody that you've, you've had a privilege of walking alongside in this way. I, w I was going to, I'll send you the story later for you, but since you took a risk in your book with the baptism, which I'm so stoked about, I'll send you stories about the three women that went out and baptized people just two weeks ago. I've been wanting to share that with you forever. Awesome. But I think the best, the best story is for us. I mean, Carla's got a million. You could have her on the podcast by herself and tell you medical stories of what she's doing to disciple people through that. But really, this whole thing started because one man and one woman who we had spent time with and waited on the Lord with, who had been around missionaries for 10 or 15 years, um, really, we just discipled them here at the house. We kept asking them questions. And what happened is one day Carla was talking to um, some people about an initiation process within the children here. And our, our good friend, Asan said uh, he stopped in the middle of our driveway and it was obvious the Holy Spirit had encountered him and Carla confronted it. She said, you know, hey, is the Holy Spirit about your initiation process and he said yeah and he his eyes were opened and in that moment he realized hey can can jesus help me through this but at the same time he was realizing i'm hearing god ian and carla have been teaching us and teaching us to pray teaching us we can hear from god and in that moment he was encountering holy spirit and that night we took him through yeah jesus can heal you of it right now we can talk you through it and he's changing your life and so we sat down, prayed. He received Christ. Um, he he confessed he needed a savior. And the next morning, he woke up, came to our house, you know, to work, and was a different human being, just completely different. Mm -hmm. And um, our his not real sister, but sister in the faith here, uh, Lydia, not her real name. She, uh, within a few weeks, was like, "I'm seeing a change in a son like I've never seen. I grew up with him, and I already." was already kind of wanting to follow Jesus, which we knew about her. Um, but she said, now I'm ready. I'm, I'm really ready. And so mm. I baptized the son, a son baptized Lydia. And that's what started all of this. And these two, these two young women and men who couldn't read and write for the most part, she can a little bit, mostly he can't literally over the next six months, spent time just sharing this village and this village has been changed like changed like percentage of people are now in christ whereas in the last 50 years there hasn't been one person here mm -hmm. um it all started just here like just in everyday life sharing the lord seeing where he's working and carla stopped and saw that he was working on Asan's heart and she pressed into it in that moment. And that really changed everything. Um, it was four and a half years of relationship. Mm -hmm. And then the you know relationship takes time, but the kingdom went quickly after that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So stopping, noticing what God is doing in someone's life. Um, you probably had lots of other things going on in your day that day, but you, you paused. And you paid attention mm -hmm. and you stepped into that mm -hmm. moment where God was at work. And from that, 
many, many have come to the Lord. Are you guys up in the hundreds now of people that are following Jesus in your village? Or so my so at last count last week, inside or outside? Either one. Yeah, you can share both. So within our village and outside, at last count, I was just talking to the guys this morning, but I'm right at confirming about 50 groups. And if, I mean, they're baptizing weekly. So like we were right in between 800 and 1,000 baptisms within the last two months. So it's it's at its tipping point. Yeah. Wow, that is so exciting. Glory be to God and may it continue to grow and multiply and May those uh, those thousand become ten thousand and more as it Amen. continues to grow. I know that Amen. that's so exciting and well done, you guys, being faithful to the Holy Spirit and to God and uh, yeah, making space in your lives to to do that and to notice what He's doing, what He's at work in. Really, really mm-hmm. a joy to have this chance to talk with you. Um, I know there's people who want to get a copy of your book. We've been talking about it throughout the whole podcast. Tell us how can people get a hold of it? And I know we have your name on the screen as Janari, um, but you have a different name on your book. Tell us about that so people know for sure where to get a hold of it. Yeah, yeah. You'll find it under Ian Christopher, a K and an F on Christopher. Um, When I was doing ministry back in the years of music and stuff, the Lord told me, that's your name, Christ bearer, God's grace. Um, and it's just easier to say than Janari. But uh, the Janari family, you can find uh, anything at um, compelledones.org is our website, compelledones.org. And I, I'm the book, though, can be found anywhere on Amazon in any format, Kindle, all that stuff. Um, it called? It's called Making disciples and leading others to make them <laughs> thanks babe and uh and so in that process i wanted to point to the website too because if you you heard from my wife there's a lot of other ways that you can learn about discipleship and support through all that we do but the book is found you can find on amazon and any platform yeah that's great well and we will put the links in the show notes as well so that it's easy for people to get a hold of that but compelledones.org uh, for mm-hmm. their ministry. And then the book again is called Making Disciples and Leading Others to Make Them by Ian Christopher, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having okay. us on this, man. Thank you uh, for all you, the work you do. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. And may God continue to bless you guys and use you. And for all those who've been listening, Get out there and make and multiply disciples, just like his book says, and maybe dig a baptism hole in your yard. That's a new one you can think (laughs) about doing. (laughs) Let's see what God will do. He's got great Mm. things ahead for all of us, and I know he's going to continue to lead us in his spirit into those relationships and people that he wants us to touch. Thanks so much, you guys. Thank you. Amen. Go encourage. Imagine a world where passionate followers of Jesus come together to multiply, transforming lives beyond imagination. Instead of toiling with little fruit, what if God's abundance flowed beyond your wildest dreams? Picture those you've invested in sharing Jesus freely, creating a ripple effect of disciple-making. In her new book, The Multiplier's Mindset, Cynthia Anderson reveals how shifting mindsets can revolutionize disciple-making. When Cynthia and her colleagues experienced these mindset shifts, they saw enormous results including the launching of 19 multiplying movements in Africa and Asia, transforming tens of thousands of lives. 
This book will help you discover hidden harvesters, see church members move from passivity to passion, and release the power of simplicity in multiplying disciples. Don't remain stuck. Learn to move toward greater fruitfulness. Visit MultipliersMindset.com and get your copy of The Multiplier's Mindset today. Wow, I enjoyed talking with this couple and I know you've enjoyed hearing their insights, so much richness there to draw from. Some of the highlights for me were talking about how it's our top priority as we train disciples to connect them with being able to hear the voice of God. And Carla even talked about how God has chosen them and spoken to them even in their mother's womb. And, and when we have that assumption, when we bring a word from the Lord, or when we talk to them about this, there's a recognition that can be there in people's lives. I love that. Really an interesting insight from Carla there. Um, they talked about how there was waiting in their process. And I think that's so important for us to remember. Sometimes we think multiplication should happen fast. And it often does after it gets rolling. But there's a lot of waiting in those early days and early stages as there was for this couple. And then they talked about just getting started. Just begin. Get out there and, and start looking for where God is working and partner with him and step into those situations where you see him at work and believe that he's going to help you. We just need to get started. Get out there and, and just do it. Um, and then the fruit of that they've seen, they said, was directly connected with the power of baptism. Baptism is a big deal, and empowering ordinary people to baptize others is something that the Janaris have done and something that we've done as well. And most people who are seeing movements have been um, have embraced this in one way or another to see ordinary people uh, living out the priesthood of all believers, and when they lead people to Christ, them being able to baptize them as well. Great interview. I had so many takeaways and things that I learned uh, today, and I know you did as well. But let me just give you an action step as you go forward. I want to ask you to Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he's doing in a greater way this week. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, I want to see what you're doing in people's lives. Would you help me like Carla did with that first person they talked about that they led to the Lord? Help me to notice where you're at work and help me to be willing to pause to engage with what you're doing. I don't want to be too busy. I don't want to have too much going on in my life, too much on my agenda and my schedule to not notice what God is doing and to not be willing to pause and engage with what he's doing. Because stepping into those opportunities may be what releases a movement and the beginning of something new in your area. Um, so I encourage you this week, join me in looking for those places where God is at work, asking him to make your spirit sensitive to it and to help you to notice what he's doing in people's lives. And then to take that step of faith, to step into that with a question, with, uh, you know, with like Carla did, to ask a question, is God doing something? Or, or is there something that that's going on that he's showing you right now? And as we step into that, I believe God's going to work through, through you, through me this week. God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next week on the Dare to Multiply podcast. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. 
one thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.